Thursday, April 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Clay Bruning. Good to see you, sir. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've got sports betting on the menu. We've got retail news, but we're going to start today with the beverage industry, specifically the adult beverage industry. A fourth quarter profits for Constellation Brands came in higher than expected. This is the beer, wine, and spirits company. Probably the best known brand in their portfolio is Corona. Although I imagine there are some listeners uh, who um, prefer some of their wines or spirits who are mad at me for saying that. But I, I think that's fair to say that Corona is the best known brand they have. The stock is down about 5% today. Is, is this because of the guidance for the new fiscal year? Yeah, I think there are a couple moving parts in this. Uh, and, you know, I would say Corona is definitely their, their best known brand. And then they, they've talked a lot over the last year about their Modelo brand and how it's gaining increasing market share. And I think Modelo outgrew um, the rest of the business. So that's one worth mentioning outside of, you know, all the wine and liquor brands. Um, but my interpretation was, uh, you know, a little bit of a disappointing fourth quarter, but it's misinterpreted in my opinion. Uh, they have divested a lot of their wine and spirits businesses over the last, um, you know, couple quarters and last couple of years to focusing on that high end kind of luxury brand, specifically in wine and spirits. Um, so, you know, their guidance was a little bit muted in that regard. And specifically, I, I know the free cash flow and cash flow from operations are expected to be substantially lower uh, in their upcoming fiscal year versus what they just produced in, uh, in 2020. But, um, you know, I, I think personally, it's a little bit misunderstood to have that, you know, 5% uh, drawdown today. It is pretty interesting to see uh, the moves over the last couple of years. You mentioned sort of the, the divesting that they've done. Bill Newland has been CEO for, I think, just two years now. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is one of those CEO changes that, that, uh, that brought change within the business, basically him undoing some of the deals that they have made. Um, and I think it's, you know, if you're a shareholder, it's, it's kind of hard to argue with that. The stock's down four or 5% today. It's up 40% over the past year. So I think you have to uh, like the moves that he's made. Yeah. And obviously, you know, seltzers have become a, a huge part of, you know, the alcohol industry and, you know, they pivoted pretty quickly to that. Um, I think they're planning just under a billion dollars in terms of capital expenditures in Mexico in 2021 to increase their capacity on that regard, which will not only help, you know, increase the supply of those seltzers from Corona, um, but they're talking about innovating and bringing in new types of, you know, seltzers and new brands, um, you know, just to increase their kind of umbrella of coverage and, uh, you know, hopefully gain some market share in that space. Yeah, it really does seem to be the story of not just for Constellation Brands, but alcoholic beverages in general in the industry over the past 12 to 18 months. It really does seem like the number one story is the rise of seltzer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and something that's, you know, I don't think it's overlooked, but it's something that isn't harped upon a lot is, is that they do have a pretty substantial stake in, in canopy growth as well. Um, and, you know, I don't think necessarily that we'll see federal legalization of cannabis in, in 2021, but, you know, I think over the next three to five years, that's something that's going to happen. Um, and they've 
realized over in a billion dollar gain since that acquisition in, in 2017. So not only is that going to be a way to have uh, income from, you know, a subsidiary or an affiliate, but that's going to likely be a way that they're going to produce revenue over the long term by having collaborations for, you know, CBD or THC drinks with, with cannabis growth over the long term. So something, you know, to keep your eye on if, if you're a Constellation shareholder or interested in, um, you know, getting into that company. March was another strong month for Costco. Overall revenue topped $18 billion. Same store sales rose 16%. Digital sales were up nearly 60%. Uh, it, it's hard to argue with, with what they're doing at Costco these days. Yeah, pretty incredible. And, and that's what really caught my eye as well. Uh, the e-commerce business, when excluding gas and uh, FX changes or foreign exchange changes, like you said, nearly 60% increase uh, in March, specifically year over year, um, and then 77% increase um, over the last 12 months versus uh, 2020's March last 12 months. So pretty incredible there. Um, and it, it was worth noting that this report, um, the March quarter, the five weeks that they looked at this year was a day shorter uh, which excluded Easter for them. And they still had that, I think, 16, 17% increase in sales without Easter sales. And they noted that that probably detracted from their sales by one and a half to 2%. So, you know, pretty, pretty incredible report here for, for March sales for Costco. We've talked a lot on this show about how the big retailers have adjusted over the past 12 to 15 months, Costco, Walmart, Target, but when you look at the stock performance, and I'm, and I'm not taking anything away from what Costco has done, because they've, they've thrived in a way that um, is surprising in a good way, when you consider how important the in-person experience is and how their digital sales were just not relevant uh, in a way 15 months ago. But it seems like when you look at the stock performance of those three companies over the past year, Target has nearly doubled. And Costco is more akin to Walmart. Costco's shares up about 15, 18% over the past year. Walmart sort of in that same range. In terms of expectations for investors, is it reasonable that expectations should be higher for Target than for Walmart and Costco. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not just basing that on the past year, but it, it does sort of seem like when you look at the history of Walmart and Costco, even though one is much more tied to the membership model than the other, it really seems like, look, these are great businesses. Just don't get carried away with your expectations. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you pointed out the membership model. Um, I know, you know, probably a couple of years ago and when I was in college, I was at Costco or BJ is one of the, kind of their competitors um, member holder. And I think that's kind of part of the reason you should have somewhat muted expectations for Costco. You think about during the pandemic, everyone was lauding them for being an early adopter of masks. They have the wide aisles. They were essentially ready for the situation and not afraid of any backlash in terms of making statements on masks or something like that. Um, and I think you have to understand that membership could be a little flat or maybe even um, fall during the year because of so many people who adopted this membership because of 
just the pure quality or excuse me, quantity of goods that you get at discounted prices via the wholesale model. Um, and that's, I think, one thing that benefits Walmart. It's a very similar model, um, except you don't have to pay, you know, whatever that annual membership fee is. And Target's actually interesting to me. I, I've never been a big patron of Target until the last month or two. You know, I went there a couple of times just to get some snacks and something. And I saw that they had this massive, uh, massive store with so many different things to buy. And I kind of got lost for 30, 40 minutes along the store. And, you know, I kind of kicked myself out as a gig. I got to get out of here before I spend you know, hundreds of dollars on a bunch of stuff I don't really need. Um, so Target's another interesting one that I've never paid too much attention to, like I said, until the last couple of months, but definitely an intriguing story there over the last year, like you've said. Uh, don't feel bad. You're not the only one who, who goes into Target with the intention of buying one or two things and walks out with more things than that. Um, real quick, because I'm not a Costco member, um, you mentioned, it seemed like you mentioned your Costco membership in the past tense. So was it, uh, and this is just my ignorance, Costco, do they have a lower membership fee for college students? And then once you graduate, it's like, congratulations, we're jacking up your fee. Yeah. So I, I think we had a family plan and it was actually for BJ's. We had Costco. When I lived in the New York area, we were Costco. And then I went to school in North Carolina and there was a BJ's within, you know, five miles. Uh, I don't think there was any college discount. Um, but, you know, post-grad, I just didn't, you know, find the need to have to buy, you know, massive bags of chips or massive uh, things of soda and stuff like that. So I just went to the, to the grocery store model. Personally, it was nothing really about pricing or anything. It was just the con convenience for me personally. Uh, two quick things before we get to our last story. Uh, first, our guest on Motley Fool Money this weekend is documentary filmmaker Robin Hauser. Uh, she has a new documentary that's making its premiere at the Santa Barbara Film Festival. It's called Savvy. It is about money, and I don't want to really give too much away, but a um, uh, great interview uh, with Robin Hauser. Um, so she's our guest this week on Motley Fool Money. Check that out. And as always, if you're looking for more stock ideas for your watch list, check out our flagship service, Stock Advisor. You get recommendations from Tom and David Gardner. You get their best buys now and a lot more. Just go to stockideas.fool.com. You get a 50% discount for being one of the dozens of listeners. 50%, that's, that's real money, people. Stockideas.fool.com. We got an email from Dan in Minnesota. He writes, because of the vaccine, prospects for pro sports in America seem brighter than they were in 2020. Do you expect this to be an even better year for the sports betting industry? Uh, thank you for that, Dan. Great question, because I was surprised at how good last year was for the sports betting industry when you think about how cut down Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL were. And the fact that the NFL pulled off the season that they did is a small miracle to me. But those other three, those were all compromised seasons. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is a uh, specific area that I've followed pretty closely the last couple of years. Really something of interest to me. And I, I think something that bolstered that um, 2020 figure in terms of performance and, you know, people betting on sports is the fact um, that mobile sports betting and mobile betting in general is increasingly gaining adoption. Um, and specifically one, one state that just went live on the online front was Michigan in, in late January uh, and just an incredible, incredible pent up demand in Michigan. Um, so one market researcher noted that they expected gross casino revenues from online 
uh, betting would can, were to be about 440 million in 2021, specifically in Michigan, um, after three weeks of Michigan being live for online betting, they increased that estimate by 81% uh, to just under 800 million. And again, this is just Michigan alone. Um, so I think that kind of gives you a little glimpse into the, to the you know pent up demand and the accessibility that online betting uh, and specifically for sports provides. So. I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, things moving in the right direction in terms of sports betting and specifically online. Uh, in the last couple of days, you've seen New York introduce um, online gaming revenue as part of their budget for 2021 and beyond. Um, it seems like it's going to take probably, you know, six, eight, maybe nine months, and we probably won't see it really live uh, until early 2022. But, you know, that'd be just in time for the Super Bowl. Uh, and on top of that, you have the NFL, which is the most important business in terms of casinos and sports betting, increasing the season to 17 games, which just is, you know, a bonus for not only fans, but for some of these casinos that are, you know, taking some of these wagers. So a lot of things moving in the right direction. I expect 2021 and beyond to continue some of that momentum we saw in 2020. Thank you for reminding me of that last point, because I had seen the approval of the NFL to add an additional regular season game. It had not occurred to me the ripple effect of what that means for sports betting. So let's go back to expectations for a second. DraftKings, that stock's up more than 300% over the past year. What, what is reasonable to expect out of a stock like DraftKings over the next one to two years. It can't be, I mean, it can't keep that up over the next couple of years. So what is reasonable to expect? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think 2021 or excuse me, 2020 was kind of the inflection point. You had tons of momentum in terms of legalization. And I'd almost argue that uh, the current, the current prices, a lot of the future, uh, regulatory momentum is probably baked in specifically New York and, um, some other States and, Specifically, boards, sports betting, not, uh, not online only, but uh, physical and online, is currently legal in 40 of 50 states in the U.S. So there are only 10 states that don't have some sort of uh, legislation either in the works or it's already operational. Um, so there's not a ton of room for growth. There are 14 states that are working towards the legalization, uh, according to the AGA, which is the, the Gaming Association um, that reports on a lot of this. So, you know, I think 2020 as a, a year in terms of equity performance is an anomaly. I don't think anyone should be expecting the same returns we've seen over the last year. Uh, and it's no different for some of these uh, casinos or online casinos like DraftKings. You have to have some muted expectations. Um, but, you know, I think this is an industry as a whole that should outperform, um, you know, those major indices over the long run here. Clay Burning, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fully. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.